On episode number six of the Marine Layer podcast with TJ Matthewson and Lyle Goldstein. Winter meetings are wrapped up. Did the Mariners spend enough? Did they do a good enough job at the winter meetings? We'll dive into that. Our free agent profile of the week is former Red Sox designated hitter J.D. Martinez on the market. We missed a flurry of signings last week, so we'll catch up on a couple. Xander Bogarts to the Padres, Aaron Judge to the Yankees, and more. And then we'll wrap it up with Speak Your Mind. With that, let's get it rolling. And we welcome you into the Marine Layer Podcast, already episode number six, here on Tuesday, December 13th. Big Dog Lal, how we doing? Doing pretty good. It's cold here. How's it feeling in Corvallis? I'm freezing. Yeah, I'm freezing. I'm wearing a vest inside, if you're watching on YouTube. Vest on, inside, the heat is on. It's probably going to be cooking in my room by the time this episode but by the time we're done with this episode it'll probably be at least 70 degrees in this room it's honestly kind of hot when it gets all the way warm but i think it's okay because now it's honestly a little cold in this room so it, it just makes the recording of our environment a little bit better but you know what's been pretty hot this week uh there lyle the discussion on money and the mariners so winter meetings are over as we sit here again on tuesday december 13th Almost to Christmas. I hope you've done your shopping there, dog. I hope you're on top of that. Got to keep on, keep on, uh, keep on top of that. I've done all my shopping. The gifts are all sitting behind me. But for the Mariners, in terms of their Christmas shopping, the winter meetings are over. The best sale of the year in Major League Baseball for players and for owners as well. And the Mariners came out with not much, to be honest, <laughs> at winter meetings. I believe their only signing at winter meetings technically would have been Trevor Gott think if winter meetings even started then in that time frame at the very least Trevor Gott was the only free agent signing for the Mariners there at winter meetings and we've seen this discourse this week in the last couple of weeks and whether the Mariners are really doing enough and I think that's what we want to spend this first part of our episode trying to dive into if what the Mariners are doing do we think that's correct? Do we think it's not correct? And I think there's just a lot of layers to this, Lyle. So I'm going to just lay it over to you on on this whole subject and sort of broach us in a direction and we'll go from there. It's just been hard to dissect and it's kind of been a hard pill to swallow because it felt like after this team lost in the ALDS this year, the obvious thing to do was go after one of the shortstops, make a couple big moves and put this team over the top. The problem is the market this winter has been absolutely infuriating. Would I have loved to sign Trey Turner? Yes. Would I love the Mariners to sign Carlos Correa? Yes. The problem is these guys are getting deals that are out of this world and are going to last until they're 39 to 40 years old. That's where you have to balance it, in my opinion, is is it worth signing a player like that who's going to be making 27 to $30 million a year at age 40, because this is not the only free agent class that's going to ever exist. Eight years from now, there might be somebody else who the Mariners want to sign. And I know that's not what fans want to hear is thinking about seven, eight years down the road. But when you live in the moment, you will be thinking about that at some point. And if seven years prior, you signed Trey Turner to a crazy deal, then all of a sudden it can hamper your payroll. So it's a tough line to toe. 
And I'm kind of on the side that they're doing the right thing. But that's that's my take. It's a complex issue. You mentioned the market. The market is pretty insane. We didn't think Xander Bogarts was going to get 11 years. He got 11 years. We didn't think Trey Turner was going to get 11 years. He also got 11 years. Judge got one one more year than I thought. I thought he was going to get an eight-year contract. He got a nine-year contract. Uh, And, you know, Dansby Swanson and Carlos Correa haven't even signed yet. I don't know if Dansby will get 11, but I'm almost certain Carlos Correa is going to get at least 11, if not more years on a contract. So we think of just the shortstops. I mean, that's already, you know, a pretty long contract. But I think the one that really explained it the most, Lyle, and what was most frustrating for us was the Brandon Nimmo deal. He got eight years. We're going to talk about that in our MLB wraparound. But eight years for Brandon Nimmo as we come into this offseason expecting him to get five years. And we're like, okay, Mariners would do a five-year contract with Brandon Nimmo. And the Mets gave him eight years. (laughs) Eight-year contract. And you're sitting there, sitting back like this. It's like, well, they weren't going to do that. But, you know, you wanted the guy. So it, it, you're sort of left in this sort of no man's land of the, these years are just killing you. All the, the length of these deals. If Brandon Nimmo had been willing to take a five-year deal, even if it was a six-year deal, I would say the Mariners would jump on that. I think what they worry about is, again, the longevity, the longevity of these deals. And Nimmo, toward the end of that contract, making $20-plus million a year, by the time he's, he's in his mid to late 30s, he could be D Gordon that draws a few more walks, and maybe that's what they worry about. As good as he is right now, I know that Jerry Depoto does not like to be hampered down to these long contracts that can hamstring a team long term because he thinks he thinks big picture. He doesn't just think totally in the moment, right now, this second. What can we do to win in 2023? Which some people argue they should, but. I would love to see a sustainable winning product. And those contracts don't always equate to that. Now, if they come out in the 2023 season and win 85 games, we're going to be back here on this podcast saying, yep, I think the Mariners decided not to give out a big contract for an impact player this year. And that was probably the wrong decision, I think. Would you agree with that? I I, I feel like that's agreeable. If they miss the playoffs this year, yeah, we would we would yeah. be back on this podcast saying they probably swung and missed this offseason. Correct. Because, right, we we enter this offseason knowing they said they need impact. They they said they they absolutely need impact. But I think we talked about it last week. The impact like there has been an improvement, but it has been like an impact level improvement of adding Colton Wong of adding Teoscar Hernandez to this roster. It like again, better but the impact is not like it's not there right like that level of improvement I think they are a better lineup and offense today than they were in game three against the Astros aka the last day of the season I do believe that I think Teoscar is an upgrade over Mitch Hanniger in right field and if Colton Wong can even do part of what he did this past year it's an upgrade over Adam Frazier at second base so they did get better It's just not what a lot of Mariner fans wanted to see in terms of the jump from 2022 to 2023, at least so far. But it's frustrating too, Lyle, because the organization has shown they are willing to spend. I have a couple of payroll numbers written down that we can talk about briefly, but I, I don't even know how much it really matters because we know the Mariners have money to spend. 
They are a most likely, you know, 15 to 10 in terms of payroll size in Major League Baseball. You know, in, in the later later parts of the 2010s, they were averaging around the number 12 to the number 10 payroll in baseball when they had Cano, Cruz, Felix, all on the books. And they, they ran that perfectly. And they're not even one of the top attending teams uh, in, in baseball. So, you know, it, that it's not a matter of that they couldn't afford it. They could afford to be around the 10th highest paying team in baseball in terms of payroll. And there's room for that because right now they're at 17. But uh, to look at that, it's also how you spend the money as well, um, which I, I, I think is interesting. And again, to the sort of the back end uh, of those contracts is where that money um, wouldn't be as smart per se, I guess. But here's the point I was thinking. So Mike Ta- Salk on uh, Seattle Sports uh, on their show today here on Tuesday had a bit of a rant at the end of his show, which I thought was interesting. Lyle told me to listen to it. I listened to it on the way home before we were recorded this podcast about, you know, it, it shouldn't really matter uh, as long as you're getting better. And I think Lyle, I know where the frustration is coming from. And the reason people are so frustrated, it's not just because they're spending money. It's because they're not spending money on the part of their team that struggles the most. Lau, where does this team struggle the most? It's offensively these days. Right. And who is Jerry DePoto's biggest free agent signing uh, as a position player? It's Nori Aoki on a one-year, $6 million deal. Exactly. And that's valid. That is a valid point right there. You, We can talk about the smartest way to build a roster. The most sustainable way to build a roster is to not give a guy a 12-year contract paying him $30 million a year. Yes, that is an objective fact because for half of that contract, he could stink and still make $30 million a year. That's why you look at San Diego and say, well, they're going to be really fun for the next four years. But then maybe from years five to eight or five to nine, they're really going to stink. They could. They're going to have a lot of old, expensive players. But when you look at this Mariners lineup and they they come out and they just, you know, they're fine, but they're not great. And if they continue to be not great, then it's like you could sign somebody to, to fix this issue. You absolutely could sign somebody for your object weakness. You can sign somebody to be in the middle of your lineup and play. And they're choosing not to because they don't want to pay the price and the years to do so. I'm going to make a counterpoint here. A lot of people have compared the Mariners blueprint and the rebuild they've tried to create here to the Braves. They say the Mariners formula is very similar to the Braves. And I understand why fans are frustrated because they have not ever signed a big free agent position player. Well, you look at the Braves roster They haven't either in this regime. Under this Alex Anthopoulos scheme, when they've been good the last handful of years, none of those position players are free agent signings. I mean, list through them. Extended Acuna, extended Albies, traded for and extended Matt Olson, extended Austin Riley, extended Michael Harris. It's all homegrown with the exception of an Olson trade that was turned into an extension. And you can say the Mariners did the same thing on the pitching side with Luis Castillo. Money does not always equate to titles. A lot of times it does, but you want to look at the Dodgers, a team that everybody aspires to be these days. The Dodgers have one title in a shortened season. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that the Mariners are doing it right. I'm not saying they're doing it wrong. I'm just saying these people on Mariners Twitter, 
that love to just scream payroll, payroll, payroll. I get it, but it doesn't always mean titles. Right. But I'm going to push back. I think money does mean titles. It just, it's not, uh, it's, it is how you spend your money. I still think you need to spend money, right? Uh, let's look back through the last world series winners. Houston spends a lot of money. Atlanta Mm -hmm. spends a lot of money. The Dodgers spend a lot of money. The nationals. I mean, they paid Steven Strasburg a boatload of money and their payroll was up there when they won the world series. Boston, one of the four biggest markets in baseball. Houston spends money. The Cubs, when they won the World Series, spent a lot of money. The last small market team to win a World Series was the Royals. And they were, you know, kind of a a flash in the pan for two years before fading off. And if you look at that Royals core, they didn't pay any of those guys, really, to, to stay. They let them walk because they didn't want to pay them. And that's why they didn't, they, that wasn't a sustainable product. So, you know, it's not to, you can't just flatly say that money is not the reason for winning. There's a reason the A's have not won a World Series in 30 years. There's a reason. We're going to talk about the A's later. But there's an obvious reason why teams that don't invest in their roster and don't invest in their organization don't win World Series. Because you can't do it. Because you can't pay your good players to stay. That That is objectively true. However... There's more than than just throwing money at a thirty year old on the free agent market to um to to come to your roster to to stay in terms of in terms of winning. This it's just such a complex uh topic that honestly, Lau, I don't it can't really be assessed until the, the off season's over, until we're starting spring training. We actually know what the roster's gonna look like. So I don't know. It, it it's the way it's a whole number of things. So if what I said came out wrong, let me rephrase. I am not suggesting the Mariners should not spend money. I am suggesting the exact opposite. My whole thing with this team and the way they're built is so many people on Mariners Twitter want it done one way and a lot of people want it done a different way. My whole thing is I don't care how it's done. Just win. And I want the Mariners to spend money. Yes. What I meant is I don't care where the money stems from as long as the roster is getting better and they're acquiring talent. For example, Julio Rodriguez getting what could be a 17-year extension at 21 years old, that's improving the roster. I don't think you'll you'll find a soul on earth that would be mad about that deal. So if the Mariners keep ex- if the Mariners keep extending some of these players in-house, sure, if they make another trade and extension, sure. Like the Braves, for example, have a top 10 payroll. They're doing everything in-house for the most part, but they still spend money. If the Mariners do it like that, that's okay. I'm just saying I can't cry if they don't sign Xander Bogarts to an 11-, 12-year contract because that feels like bad business in a lot of ways. I would like to see them be sustainable. I just don't think the Mariners are doing themselves any favors with the general manager going on local radio and talking about the 2026 payroll. I, I just don't think it does any favors that way. Because do you know what fans don't care about? The 2026 payroll. They do not care about that. Fans want to see the current product. And when you're saying you won't sign a free agent this year because you're worried how much you're going to pay them in 2026, is it's just so offsetting to fans who put their money into the current product, not for the 2026 product. What's the revenue going to look like in 2026? 
We don't know, right? We don't know. They're about to have an all-star weekend this year. How much money are they going to get from that? How much attendance is going to grow these next handful of years when you actually have star players on your team and a core that you can believe in where you could possibly get over 3 million fans to the ballpark over the course of a summer with all these luxury attractions that they're putting in the ballpark to just really expedite how much money you can make off of every square inch of T-Mobile Park. There's all all sorts of factors. And to think, Lyle, if you sign a guy now, that contract is honestly going to look like if he's as good at this point as he is in the future, the money is going to be worth so much less because contracts will have already grown exponentially by the time you get to that number. The, The contract's growing is true. I think you can agree with me on this, though. If, for example, the Mariners had signed, let's say, Trey Turner. And by 2026, the year that is making a lot of people mad because DePoto was on local Seattle sports radio and talked about their thinking about future payrolls. If in 2026, they had Trey Turner, who was making 27 to $30 million a year, and he was not hitting all of a sudden, you know the same fans on Twitter that have been screaming and yelling that they didn't sign him would be the same fans that are saying, this is a terrible contract. He's killing this team. You're not totally wrong. You're not. Again, there's it's not a per, there's not a, a there's not a right way to do anything, really. Right. There's not. Mm-hmm. You look at the World Series this year. You had two teams that were built 100% different. Like completely different. The Astros were almost essentially all homegrown slash trade. Almost all. And then you look at the Phillies, Bryce Harper, Nick Castellanos, Zach Wheeler, JT Realmuto, Kyle Schwarber, uh, am I missing? Tell me if I'm missing somebody. I don't think I am. Uh, but like, you know, that's the core right there. All free agents, all of them. So it, it shows you there really isn't one way to do it. Now, sustainability. I don't know how sustainable the Phillies are. If I know anything about baseball, that Dave Dombrowski is not sustainable in the way he builds his rosters. But as of right now, the Phillies will probably be pretty good next year based on that approach that they have. Oh, That's probably man, true. This is, this is an exhausting argument because we just want them to win. That's all we want, right? We want to, you want a World Series. Here's, a, here's one thing. The, the, the problem that, the thing that makes this a problem is that you're chasing the Astros and the Astros have set the standard for how to win, how homegrown talent works. And they're just that level of good where it takes the best. It takes you doing everything you can to just match them, let alone beat them. And what the Mariners have done this offseason has been an improvement. They're not near the Astros yet. And that is the standard. And that's what people know you have to do to win a World Series. And that's something the Mariners want. They want to win a World Series. And you can't do that if you can't beat the Astros. You're right that they have not made up significant ground on Houston this offseason, especially with Houston adding Jose Abreu. But what if the chunk of the ground they gained to get close to or past Houston happened in 2024? Are Are we ready for me to fire this off here? I like the idea. You've been you've been talking about this for a while and it makes it would make sense to be honest. Oh, so, okay. Let's let's see what so, you got. So, as we know, the Mariners have not spent a lot of money in the past few off seasons. 
They have made a lot of moves this offseason that have involved trades for players on one-year deals. And a lot of people have sat here, yes, and said, why are they operating like this? But I look at the Mariners who have extended Julio, extended Castillo, spent money, but you also know that Jerry Depoto does not just hand out big contracts unless he thinks somebody is worth it. I don't think he thinks anybody in this 2023 free agent class is worth it. But I think there's somebody in 2024 who he does think's worth it. He happens to play two ways. You know who I'm talking about. We're talking about Shohei Otani here, who, if you remember, the Mariners were essentially runner-ups for back in 2017 and just missed out on him. Well, Otani said he wants to play for a team that wins. Check. He likes the West Coast. Check. I can't imagine the Mariners have lost interest in him since they went after him in 2017. You remember how much Jerry Depoto wanted him and how much he would rave about him every time he was asked about him during these sweepstakes six or seven or like five years ago now. I think come next year, they are going to go after Shohei Otani and free agency like you have not seen the Mariners chase after a free agent before. I think they are basically going to do what the Giants tried to do with Aaron Judge, say, we are not going to be outbid. Our payroll is manageable. It sits at 17th in the league. And this is a guy that can legitimately change our franchise and bring a World Series to Seattle. I think that's why they didn't spend big in the 2022 offseason. I think that's why they're not spending big in the 2023 offseason. I think 2024, you are going to see Jerry Depoto <laughs> go after Shohei Otani like you have not seen him go after a free agent before. Is it a guarantee he signs here? No. Are other teams going to be competitive? You bet. Do I think it's possible for the Mariners? 100%. Wow. Well, that would be fun. So let's look at the positives of this. There's not a better two-way player in baseball. There, He is the best player in baseball. I don't know why I just said two-way. There is not a better player in baseball than there is Shohei Otani. We, you know, he won, wins the MVP last year and had, you know, almost as good of a year this year, a 142 WRC plus and, he had over a 30% strikeout rate this year, a 2-3-3 ERA. So you're talking your ace and your cleanup hitter in your lineup. Please. <laughs> that sounds great. Now let's look at a contract he would probably get. I'm guessing he's going to get around an 8-10 to 10 year contract. So I have some numbers written down. They're based on an 8-year contract. Let's start on the low end. I think this would be low for Shohei Otani. $50 million a year. I think that's probably the bar the the base rate for Shohei Otani right now. Mm-hmm. That's eight for four hundred million dollars. He would set a record for the uh, for the highest average annual value for at fifty million dollars a year. If he goes up to sixty, he would get four eight for four hundred eighty million dollars, which most likely will be the richest contract in baseball history. Now I, I have a number that might blow your mind, so. Fangrass has a value calculator where they equate about $8 million to one win above replacement. And he was worth about $75.9 million this year. So if you equate that over eight years, that would be an eight-year contract worth $607.2 million. Now, you might think, wow, that's a big cost. 
But can you imagine how much more revenue and people and seats Shohei Otani brings into your ball club? I mean, I don't know if the, the Angels like could ballpark it. I mean, how many extra fans do you get in seats a year? How many more jerseys do you sell with Shohei Otani? How much more television? Uh, how much more you know TV eyes do you get with your games now on in Japan with even more importance? Because Shohei Otani is there. A lot. Let's put it like this. That contract's paying for itself. No matter what a team pays him, that contract's paying for itself. And I'll tell you this with the Mariners too. You remember the last time he was essentially a free agent. The last time he was looking at other teams and the Mariners made their pitch to him. They did their best, but they didn't land him. They now have a chip that they didn't have before. And that is a now 22-year-old already MVP-level center fielder. He wanted to play in Anaheim because of Mike Trout. You know that scene in Endgame in the Avengers where they're talking about trying to go back in time and bring everybody back? And Hulk says, if we do this, how do we know it's going to be different than the last time? And And Captain Marvel says, because before you didn't have me. Julio is Captain Marvel. He can be the difference maker in a sales pitch to Shohei Otani, and I fully believe that. I like that analogy. Now I want to get to my slight negatives. I know we have other topics to get to here on on this podcast. So the only thing I dislike about this line of thinking, while Shohei Otani is fantastic, I think purposely not improving your ball club for the sakes of having a chance to sign Shohei Otani you could argue as organizational malpractice with the roster you have. I think if you state your goal is to win a World Series, you should be doing everything in your power to win a World Series. Punting away an offseason at a chance at a free agent 365 days away doesn't sell with a fan base. Because do you know what that tells me? That this upcoming season doesn't matter as much. Because you're looking ahead. Now, the the, the per- perspective prize is great. But that doesn't mean you're going to get it. It does not. But I think Jerry DePoto also believes that four and a half win to five win Trey Turner does not catch them up to the Astros. I think he believes eight to ten win Shohei Otani could. And I know that that doesn't sit well with fans right now. But if that is his thought process long-term, I understand it. And I'll bet you this, they're probably already setting up their blueprint to try to sales pitch him again. I bet you they're already working on it, if it were if it were my guess. But should that'll a, be something that... College... Sorry, I was like, they should do what the college football coaches are doing now in the portal. And like, even while the guy's on another team, you just call him up and be like, so how does a, how does a four-bedroom house sound right, uh, right on Queen Anne? Yeah, and get a nice view of the city. Exactly. Look, this has been a fun topic. Again, it is a very, very controversial topic in the Mariner world right now because there is no one perfect solution. Everybody's got their own ideas, but how it all plays out, that can only be told with time. As we go into our free agent profile this week, a guy that is still out on the free agent market and the Mariners could still sign this offseason is J.D. Martinez. He was sort of in the Mariners' Twitterverse this week and in the Mariners' world this week because he posted a photo of himself at Pike Place Market. So he was in Seattle. 
He clearly was there for some reason. Now, it might have just been a vacation. He might have just been visiting. Or maybe he's got interest in the team and they have interest in him. J.D. Martinez has made multiple All-Star games with the Red Sox. This is a guy that hits lefties incredibly well. He is probably mostly a DH at this point, but he is a right-handed bat that could complement this team. Would he make sense here in Seattle, TJ? Yes. Let's start with the exact reason why, because Mariners DHs last year sucked. They were awful. I, I don't, I, I just, we, I've kept, I think I've read this number now on this podcast. We've now recorded six episodes. I might've said this stat line of Mariners DHs probably three or four times already, but I'm going to read it again because I just need to hammer it into people's brains. How bad the Mariners designated hitters were in 2022. A 182, 78, 337 slash line, 74 OPS plus from a guy whose only job is to hit the ball. Only job that is, is to swing a bat and hit a baseball. And they happen to be the worst hitter on the team. Can you just imagine how much better a lineup is when they have a guy who all he needs to do is hit, not play defense, literally just hit. And J.D. Martinez does that. He had a power dip this last year. He only had 16 home runs, 76 RBIs a 116 WRC plus, and he'll turn 36 next August. So, you know, he's not getting any younger, but he still has pretty good contact numbers. His quality of contact is really good. He's still barreling the ball at a really good rate. He's never been a great guy at limiting strikeouts or walking a whole ton, but he's been good enough in that department. And in each of the last two years, his hard hit rate over a full season has gone down. But I think he's managed it really well as an aging curve because he's had over 40 doubles each of the last two years. A guy who used to hit over 35 home runs a year has now popped into his doubles power a little bit. And he's had over 40 doubles in each of the last two seasons as sort of an adaptance to getting old as well. And I think that would suit the middle of a Mariners lineup and wouldn't cost too much either. He's not getting a lucrative deal at this point for a guy that's probably just going to be a DH. Maybe he'd play the field a little bit. He'd probably be here or anywhere for that matter on a one to two year deal. I think what the Mariners could potentially like about him is how well he hits lefties because that seems to be their goal here. They want to find another right-handed bat, specifically a guy that can hit left-handed pitching. JD Martinez has basically done that his whole career. If you just want to look at 2022, put up a 175 WRC plus against lefties last year. His OPS was 998, so he crushed lefties. Over the course of his career, 152 WRC plus against left-handed pitching. Career OPS of 957. Yeah, that offense is starting to dip as his age number goes up. But he can still hit left-handed pitching, and that might be all they care about. And the thing is, he might still be able to hit right-handed pitching too because his career is a 124 WRC plus against righties. So, like, maybe it was a one-off last year and he just wasn't comfortable against right-handed pitchers. Maybe he still can hit right-handed pitching. You know, he's got such a nice swing. He hits the ball all over the place. And if he's in the right environment and he's comfortable enough, I mean, it's an option, right? He still could do that. I I, I wouldn't put it past him. And as a buy-low signing to the point of the Mariners' offseason we're, we're at is we're like, well... They still need offense, and they want a right-handed bat. I'm like, well, sounds like a pretty good option to me if you're asking, <laughs> right? I, like, The only thing I think about is, would this just be a carbon copy of Jesse Winker? And I ask that because 
J.D. Martinez plays almost no defense. It's funny. He didn't play any defense this past year. He was strictly a DH. His defensive runs save were actually slightly in the positive the previous two seasons. It was in very, very limited sample size, but it was positive. But part of me also wonders, is he Jesse Winker, not just defensively, but offensively? Because Jesse Winker came from a hitter-friendly park, got to Seattle, and had issues. J.D. Martinez just played in a very hitter-friendly park, especially for righties. Would he come to Seattle and have issues? Well, I'm going to push back on that a little bit. I mean, I'm talking about prime J.D. Martinez here, but he played in about the most pitcher-friendly park for the first portion of his career that he was in the big leagues. He played in Detroit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> Imagine hitting in Detroit, 420 feet to center, 400 yeah. to the alleys, mm-hmm. uh, cold weather, not a great hitting environment. And he still put up great numbers when he was in Detroit. I mean, his last uh, full season in Detroit, he slugged 535. He averaged about 530 on the slugging percentage, hit over 300 and 900 OPS twice in Detroit. Again, albeit a much younger version of J.D. Martinez with a quicker bat and more power in there. But, you know, it's not like he hasn't played in a pitcher-friendly park. And I'm also going to push back on this, uh, uh, on Jesse Winker. I mean, they're sort of two different profiles of hitters. Jesse Winker hit the ball hard, but he wasn't like an elite guy in terms of really just crushing baseballs. But J.D. Martinez is. If you look at his baseball Samant page, you'll see a bunch of red when you go look at average exit velocity and, and barrel rate and all those things. Jesse Winker's plus is that he had good control of the strike zone and walked a lot while limiting his strikeouts. J.D. Martinez isn't as much of a walker. His career walk rate's right around 9%, but he only strikes out around 24% of the time. That percentage keeps going down as he gets older, which is honestly kind of surprising. It usually goes the other direction. So I just don't think that's really fair comparison for him. I guess I was just thinking in terms of very well below average defense and going from a hitter friendly park to a pitcher's park with dense air, you know, balls don't carry as much. That was the comparison I'm thinking of. Yes. JD hits the ball significantly harder than Jesse Winker ever ever did. And that's great. I don't think there's, I think there are some similarities. Let's put it like that. Yes. Their profiles are as players are different, but you can compare some things, especially the defense. And that's part of this too, right? Is the Mariners claim they're looking for a right-handed hitting outfielder to offset Kelnick so he can play against righties. If you sign JD Martinez, he's probably DHing 95% of the games he's in the lineup. And do you sign a guy just to DH? Well, then why don't you do JD Martinez and you sign Conforto, then you have two hitters and someone else to offset Kelnick in the outfield. That's fine with me. Doesn't sound bad. Doesn't sound like a, a bad option. It it won't cost. It, yeah, exactly. It doesn't cost you anything. You're going to spend maybe eight million dollars on JD Martinez. Maybe a year. That's it. That's about what he's worth right now. And I think that's his market. Like if the Mariners can afford an eight million dollar contract, then they should just fold up and and retire for the rest of the off season. If they can, I'm serious. Like it, if that's if that is the the the, the holdfast, then then why bother show up to the negotiating table? But yeah. they sh- they can't afford that because they know they need offense. And I think that I, I don't think that would be a, a bad combination. It would add more depth to the lineup because on days JD Martinez doesn't play, then you put Conforto in the DH spot. 
So J.D. Martinez would roughly cost 8 to $10 million, we're saying, and Michael Conforto would probably cost somewhere from 12 to $15 million. Yeah, I would think the Mariners have $25 bucks to shell out to those two players. Yeah. The, the only annoying thing, though, is that you think about that as like $25 million. Would you rather just spend that on Brandon Nimmo? Maybe offered him $25 million average annually yeah. uh, instead of the about $20 million annually. He's going to get over an eight-year contract for the Mets. What does that come out to over five years? Five twenty-five. That's $150. Is that? No, $150 million. $150 Yeah, is that? I think so. Yeah. No, that's $30 million a year. We're, well, I would have paid that too because it's not my money. What? Well, yeah, twenty five uh, over five would be one twenty five. One hundred twenty five, right? Okay. Yeah. Well, I would have paid him thirty million dollars a year as well, because just for that, just, just literally just for it to be five year contract, I think you do what it takes. I know. But as we're seeing, these long contracts are to drive down the average annual value. That's literally all. To, it's essentially dodging the salary cap. What AJ Preller tried to do with our next subject. As we uh, spread out, and let's go a little more national with our uh, MLB wraparound. So we missed this news by about, what'd you say, 12 hours in our recording last week. Uh, Arson Judge had signed with the Giants prior to us recording our podcast last week. But Aaron Judge remained unsigned, and the next morning... He signed a nine-year, $360 million contract to return to the Bronx. He'll make an average of $40 million a year. Good for Aaron Judge. We made a TikTok about this, which again, if you're not following us on TikTok, you should be. I always felt like Aaron Judge was going to go back to the Yankees. I mean, don't get me wrong. When we saw reports that he was heading to the Giants, even when Heyman retracted his tweet, there were still rumblings that it was going to happen. Like judge to the giants feels like it's picking up steam, this and that. That was the first time I really ever felt like, yeah, he's not going back to New York, but evidently he wanted to be in the Bronx because that's where he signed. Maybe he just, maybe he just used the giants as leverage, but point being the Yankees could not afford to lose Aaron judge. I don't even know if that team's a playoff team with Aaron judge. And now he's going to keep his legacy there. You don't think so? No, they're not. No. <laughs> yeah. I don't think so either. So now he kind of saves the Yankees, so to speak, at least for the next few years when he's still in his prime. And he's probably going to get the captain title. He has a chance to get his number retired now. Oh, no. I think his his number, he plays the rest of this contract and he doesn't totally stink. He's going to get his number retired. I mean, mm-hmm. think about that. Roger Maris has his number retired as a Yankee, right? I believe so. Right. So if Roger Maris has his number retired, uh, then Aaron Judge is getting his number retired because Roger Maris was also happened to be a one season, essentially a one anomaly season uh, with the Yankees where he set that American League record 61 home runs and Judge happened to break it with his, I guess, anomaly season, even though he's been very good for his whole career, 62 home runs. I do think 99 would look great in that uh, monument park. The only thing is most of the Yankees retired numbers are all single digits because all the great Yankees wore single digit numbers, but Aaron judge wears 99, which is as far away from a single digit as you can get, which I think is a funny twist. I want to get your take on this Lyle, while I go double check that Roger Maris has his number retired. 
I mentioned the Padres. What AJ Preller tried to pull with Aaron Judge honestly made me laugh. The Padres were going to offer Aaron Judge a 14-year contract for well over $400 million. And I was just laughing looking at it. The reason they offered him 14 uh, years, they were going to offer him 14 years, is to drive down the average value and sort of dodge under the luxury tax. Which I saw the report, you probably saw this too, that Major League Baseball was going to veto that contract if they agreed to it. Because they're like, Preller, what are you... What the fuck are you doing, dude? Like, <laughs> it was just funny. Dude, he's such a meme at this point, it feels like. And I'm not saying he is all bad at his job or anything like that. Like, obviously, the Padres are winning these days. But to see that he was okay paying Aaron Judge till he was 45 years old is nuts. I mean, yeah. And, and if he knew MLB was going to deny it, how did that report even get out there? Like, how was that How was that even cooked up in the Padres' front office? That's what I can't figure out. I don't oh, get it. Funny. It's it's wild. Also, you're mentioning the retired numbers. We might have to pull a prank one day at Yankee Stadium where if Aaron Judge gets his number retired, and, well, he wouldn't be next to Roger Maris, but it's too bad he wouldn't be because what if we, if there was a nine and then there was a 99 next to the nine, what if you and I just showed up at Yankee Stadium one day for a game showed up with a big sign that in big orange numbers had 25 and said bonds and stuck it right between Maris and judge. And then like added Roger Maris <laughs> jr. On Twitter. <laughs> uh, I don't block many people on Twitter. I I'm very, very particular with who I decide to block on Twitter. Roger Maris jr. Based on his complaining uh, during the home run chase for Aaron judge earned one of my three all-time blocks. Congratulations, <laughs> Roger. Uh, I mean, can you think uh, about was... this? The son of the second place American League home run champion. The second place American League home run leader. Unreal. Like, th- think about that. Like, <laughs> get out of here, oh. dude. I don't give a rip what the hell you have to say about <laughs> dudes hitting home runs. I... Who gave you a podium? Who stuck him at the, the, the who stuck him in front of a bunch of cameras and a backdrop with a microphone in front of you? Like who cares? You didn't hit the home runs. <laughs> oh, I was I was so fired up when Aaron Judge hit sixty two and Jared Carabas on Twitter put it perfectly. He tweeted out the meme of Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn popping champagne and wedding crashers when Judge hit 62. And in all capital letters, he just puts, we never have to hear from Roger Maris Jr. ever again. Oh, I'm with him on that. Where's my, I need my champagne. Where is it? Yeah. Before we transition here, let's just, I'll just say this. TJ has three people blocked on Twitter. If we get to enough Twitter TikTok followers one day, TJ will reveal who the other two people are that he's blocked on Twitter. I think that's yep. fair. Yeah, my, that is okay. a very fair, very fair. They they follow a common theme. So Yes, they do. Let's move on here. We're talking Padres. We'll stay on the topic of San Diego. They signed Xander Bogarts. 11 years, $280 million. This kind of came out of nowhere. I don't really think anybody expected Xander Bogarts to land with the Padres. But A.J. Preller and crew were willing to throw out a lot of money 
and they landed on Xander Bogarts. This doesn't really shock me too much, to be honest, though. It was shocking in the moment when we see this, but you sit back and you think about it a little bit more. Let's think about what what we have already discussed, what A.J. Preller did prior to giving out this contract. He offered Trey Turner $341 million, opposed to the three hundred dollars that the Phillies offered him. Trey turned him down somehow. I don't know, $41 million sounds pretty good to me. But regardless, Trey Turner turned him down. Aaron Judge, well over $400 million, 14 years, turned it down. Didn't, didn't, uh, didn't materialize. And then there's Xander Bogarts. And we didn't think Xander Bogarts was going to get a long-term, long, long-term deal. We were wrong. AJ Preller essentially was like, okay, what's a number the Red Sox aren't going to match? They weren't going to match that. They weren't going to match 11 years, $280 million. They, they could have. They have the finances for it, obviously. But they didn't do it. So the Padres offer something the Red Sox would not match, and that's exactly what happened. And I know Xander went back to the, the, the Red Sox and was like, can you guys match this? And they were like, nope. And now Bogarts is a Padre. And man, the Padres are fun, and they're good for baseball. They are so good for baseball. Credit, I, I forget the Padres owner's name. Had to. Thank you. Thank you. Look, I think they've been incredibly irresponsible with their money in a lot of ways, but they are good for baseball. Yes, they are competitive. They are right now a very good team, and they are good for the sport because they're spending a lot of money no matter what way they do it, and they're trying to win. It is crazy. It almost just felt like they were playing fantasy baseball in a lot of ways, except it was through free agency, where it was like, oh, well, let's just throw all this money here at Trey Turner. Oh, well, that didn't work. Okay, let's just throw all this money at Aaron Judge. Oh, that didn't work. Okay, let's now just throw all this money at Xander Bogarts. That worked. Like... I mean, it didn't feel like they had much of a plan behind it. It was just like throw as much money possible at all the star free agents until they got one of them. The Padres are what Mariners Twitter looks at and are like, why can't we be more like that? Now, we can have our agreements and disagreements on if that's the right way to build a roster. Time will tell. Who's going to win a World Series? That's that's really the real indicator. If the Padres win a World Series and you're like, you're probably right. But like San Diego is not a big market. It's not. It is cornered in the southwest corner of the United States, swollen down by Los Angeles. So like you have this tiny chunk of California. That is your market. That's it. That is your only market. And yet you trust that the revenue will come to sign some of these contracts. Listen to some of these contracts. The small market of San Diego has signed. Manny Machado, 10 years, $300 million. Fernando Tatis, 14 years, $340 million. They could potentially sign Juan Soto for over $400 million in a couple of years. It could be this year if they choose to extend him, or they could wait until he's a free agent. He'll probably wait to be a free agent because of Scott Boris. They signed Eric Hosmer to an eight-year deal for $144 million. They signed Joe Musgrove to a five-year $100 million contract this season. They signed Will Myers six years, $83 million. They just spend, and it's great. <laughs> it's great. It's enjoyable. I have two points to make here. I'll let you respond to each of them. My first is, you mentioned Juan Soto. You know what? I'm going to do that second. 
I do wonder how the Xander Bogarts contract is going to play out. Because as we talked about when we broke him down for a potential fit with the Mariners, we talked about he set career or career lows in a lot of categories. Or if it wasn't a career low, it was the lowest point of his career in a very long time in things like hard hit rate and barrel rate, average exit velocity, along with the fact that he did not hit all that well away from Fenway Park. That has to be some concern, right? A little bit. But is anything about A.J. Preller concerned about four years from now? No. Probably not. He's not. He's not. So, it like, do you think Xander will be good for the next two to three years? Question. Yes. Okay. And that's what that's what A.J. Preller is focused on, even though he gave him 11 years. He's focused on the next two to three years to win a World Series. That's why he signed him. He did what he needed to do to get Xander to San Diego. That's essentially what he did. Whether he likes the trends or not, it's irrelevant. He wants to be good for the next two to three years. Point blank. Yeah. Here's my second point, and it makes better sense to do it in this order now. Even if that's the case, why did you just give Xander Bogarts, who's about to be 30 years old, an 11-year deal, instead of giving Juan Soto, who's about to be 24, whatever extension he wanted. I know Scott Boris usually waits till his clients hit free agency, but if they had given Soto an offer he couldn't refuse, like $500 million, I bet you he takes the extension. I would have rather done that than give Bogarts the money. Soto is way more of a safe bet and a lock to be an offensive catalyst than Bogarts is. You're right. You're correct. However, that is... Assuming that Scott Boris and company are willing to negotiate an extension while he still has two years left until free agency. And there's another thing. Maybe AJ Proler does not think the current iteration of the San Diego Padres without Xander Bogarts is good enough to win a World Series, which is a fair assumption. You sign Juan Soto, great, but you already have him under contract for the next two seasons, regardless if he signs an extension. So... You do what you can now to utilize those resources that you have by not paying Juan Soto to go sign another guy to help Juan Soto to win a World Series. You are talking logically for the future of the San Diego Padres in the long term to have a long term good player. But AJ Preller is focused on the next two seasons when Juan Soto is guaranteed to be a San Diego Padre unless they decide to trade him away. That's probably true. You're probably right about that. So, again, the two extremes of of baseball. You have the Padres and you have the Phillies. And then you have the Astros and Braves in terms of roster building. We've covered a lot of that today, more than we probably would have liked. But it is entertaining podcasting nonetheless. Let's run through these next couple uh, quickly, Lyle. Brandon Nimmo, our ideal free agent signing, goes to the Mets. Eight years, $162 million. Steve Cohen gets what he wants. He always gets what he wants. That's what happens when you're willing to spend all the money in the world. There's not much more we can say on Brandon Nimmo at this point because we've talked about him in length on a lot of episodes. Yes, he was a perfect fit for this team. The Mariners also almost definitely did not want to go eight years. The Mets were willing to do it. That's what he got. So he returns to Queens and they keep their leadoff hitter and a guy that's a catalyst at the top of the order and can play some good defense. Steve Cohen is good for baseball. He's Mm -hmm. great for baseball. I mean, 
they they're making rules to prevent him from spending more which <laughs> i wish i wish you know the bottom 15 owners of baseball would like collectively try and spend as much as steve cohen does i mean after taxes their payroll this year is going to be over 400 million dollars 400 million steve cohen is making the steinbrenners look poor which is insane. <laughs> yeah. That is nuts. $400 million payroll. That's crazy. There should be more owners willing to do what it takes to win a World Series like Steve Cohen. Could you could you just imagine the competitiveness of some of these franchises if they're really willing to actually invest in their teams like this? Ugh. They can, crazy. They can all afford it. They can all they, afford they, it. Yeah. It's just only yep. some choose to afford it. That's the big thing. That's correct. That is, uh, that's absolutely correct. Still a good fit for the Mets because if they were going to lose him, I mean, man, you're talking about losing to Grom. Um, uh, you sign Verlander, but you know, your roster's kind of old and you're just not certain where the roster goes from next year. You could see it taking a step back because it is an older roster, especially with an older rotation. So you'd want to kind of sure up the offense a little bit. And I think that's what Brandon Nimmo does here. I agree. The Mets needed him back. They got him back. They paid for him. They get the product. There was a few other moves that occurred this week. We're just going to list off a couple of them. Kodai Senga also signs with the Mets. Five years for $75 million, right-hander out of Japan. Masataki Yoshida, an outfielder from Japan, signed with the Red Sox this week. Five-year deal, $90 million. And Sean Murphy, just a couple of days ago, traded from the A's to the Braves in return for a package of prospects. None of them were top 100 guys. So, TJ, do any of these moves stand out to you? The A's should be disbanded. I mean, (laughs) seriously. What a joke. I feel so bad for every A's fan out there. And we're talking about owners that care. Padres, Mets. The A's do not. Like, they literally don't, don't give a shit about they don't give a shit about their fans it doesn't seem like they don't care about their stadium they don't care about the product on the field i mean they're they traded a top five to ten catcher in baseball with three years of control left and got zero blue chip prospects zero three years of control i see this trade i'm I'm looking at i'm like this is unbelievable you like it's like you're purposely trying to get you're not purposely trying to get worse with hopes of being better in the future. You're purposely trying to get worse and with no hope of being better for the future. Like no offense to any of the guys on here, but none of the they got the 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 Braves number 1 prospect, but then not higher than anyone else's like number 6 prospect, which isn't even like a top 100 guy. What? Like what are the A's doing? Let like let me quickly run through the whole the whole trade. It was a three way trade. Shout out to the Brewers who managed to get in on the A's incompetence with this. <laughs> so the Braves get Sean Murphy. The Brewers get William Contreras, a twenty four year old All Star catcher, uh, a guy from the A's, uh, Joel Payamps, uh, Payamps I think, and Justin Yeager. The A's get. Kyle Mueller, who's the uh, the Braves' number one prospect, not a top 100 guy. Estri Ruiz, who's the Braves' number eight prospect. Uh, Freddie Tarnock, which is the uh, Braves' number six prospect, formerly, of course. And Roy Bear Salinas, 
the Braves' number 18 prospect and a veteran catcher, Manny Pena. There, Manny Pena is the only guy making, uh, I think there's only, sorry, only one guy in the A's roster next year making over $5 million. I mean, the, it I, it's so sad. It is so sad. It's it's Major League. They are trying to move this team to Vegas. And, and that yeah. that's not a hot take. That's not an exaggeration. There is one reason and one reason only for why you would purposely assemble a roster this terrible and they're trying to get out of Oakland and move to Vegas. You don't trade a top five catcher with three years of club control for absolutely nothing in return because you hope to get better in the future. No. No way. Just, it's so, it's just awful. Like, can, can Rob Manfred in the commissioner's office just step in? It's like, okay, guys, like either move or try. Like do it, like just yeah. like put your foot down and say you're moving to Vegas because it's just bad. Yeah. It's embarrassing, it's and I, I, I just agree. feel so bad. I I feel so bad for A's fans out there that have to deal with this. And we complain about free agent signings, but you know, imagine if we went down the list of the A's top free agent signings in the last thirty years, and we could probably not find one that was actually good. Okay, I'm with you. Let's. I mean, really quickly before we move on here, I was just going to say, I guess the move of those three that stands out to me is Kodai Sanga, and I say that because I'm interested to see if this if this Mets rotation if this Mets rotation there we go is better, worse, or about net neutral with Sanga and Verlander compared to if they had Degrom and Chris Bassett, who also just signed elsewhere this week. He signed a three year deal with the Blue Jays. Kodai Senga throws 102 miles an hour at his very top when he tops out, and he also has a nasty splitter. This guy has a chance to be a bargain of a contract, making five years for $75 million, along with getting Verlander, who we said long-term we wouldn't want to pay. 2023 has a chance to be really good. I'll be interested to see if this rotation is better, worse, or about the same with those two compared to having DeGrom and Bassett. It's going to be an old rotation, but mm-hmm. they stay healthy. I think they're going to, they have a chance to be very, very, very good. Maybe not sustainable, but at least good in 2023. That's all that matters at this moment. Let's get to a segment we've been looking forward to for a few weeks now, and let's speak our minds. Speak your mind, Spock. That would be unwise. What is necessary is never unwise. So Lyle and I, when we're discussing this scenario of what we were going to do this week. It's pretty obvious. So obviously Mariner fans, which by correlation would make us Seahawks fans. Some big news in the offseason. Russell Wilson on March 8th was traded to the Denver Broncos for three players, two first round picks, two second round picks, and a third round pick, I think. I didn't write down the trade package, but I think off the top of my head, that's what it was. The Seahawks the gave the Broncos a fourth round pick. That's what it was. Correct. Gave them a fourth round pick and quarterback Russell Wilson. This past Sunday, the Broncos were eliminated from playoff contention <laughs> before the Seahawks and currently are gonna and are currently projected to give the Seahawks the number two pick in the NFL draft. We decided to go back to March eighth and dig up some tweets that we could read. That couldn't have been more wrong about the situation that was going to unfold in the 2022 NFL season. Before we read anything, I'm going to put a hand up. Admit, I was wrong. I was so wrong. I thought. I'm I thought. Put... I, I I I thought the Seahawks got fleeced on this trade. I was heartbroken. Didn't know what life was going to be like after Russell Wilson. 
Now you fast forward to the end of September. I'm sitting there. I'm like, did Pete just, did he, uh, uh, he must've been right. (laughs) Okay. I've got two things here. One, I'm putting my hand up too, because like you, I was wrong. We, I've just got to say this before we start reading off these tweets. They are three and fucking 10. The Denver Broncos, after trading for Russell Wilson and giving him a five-year extension for $245 million before playing a single game in a Denver uniform, are now 3-10 and and are currently holding the second pick in the NFL draft in 2023, which goes to the Seahawks because that was part of the Russell Wilson package. This season for the Broncos is literally an SNL skit written by the Seattle Seahawks. It is unreal. Their offense is the lowest scoring offense. It's even lower scoring than the uh, than the 2017 winless Cleveland Browns. To put that in perspective, <laughs> what would their record? Do we know what their record would be if they'd scored 18 points in every game? It'd probably be like eight and uh, I think it would probably be like eight and or they they'd probably be like nine and four at this point, nine and four, ten and three, something like that. Yeah. But I, I think it's just, either 10 and three or 11 and two, actually. It's it's ridiculous. Like their defense 18 is points. elite. 18 yeah. points. And scoring 18 points a game in the NFL is bad. And if they had just been bad on offense and scored 18 points a game, the Seahawks would look like complete idiots right now. But <laughs> yeah, number we, two pick is this incredible. L- listen, and one quick last thing before we start reading off these tweets. You mentioned Pete Carroll. I think you, I'll speak for both of us here. I think we both owe him a major public apology because he's not perfect. There are still some things he does that aren't perfect with timeouts, with the way the defense has gone this year. But our biggest gripe with him the last few years was how much he ran the ball and taking the ball out of Russell's hands. It's now very, very evident why he was doing that because the light has been shined on what the real problem was this whole time or really who the real problem was. And it's that Russ would take these drive-altering sacks because he'd hold the ball too long, he'd lose 15 yards, and the drive was over by the time it was second or third down. And now with Geno Smith, they're throwing the ball at an above-average rate. Because he can actually hang in there on third down and throw over the middle on time. It's it's crazy simple, isn't it? Yeah, Uh, we, like I said, apologies on that, Pete. You were Uh, right. We were wrong. We appreciate Russ for the 10 years he spent in Seattle, some of the most memorable years of my life. But man, this is his bed. He asked for it, and he got it all right. He got it. See, he can re- he can listen to this podcast in his office and, and listen to all these tweets. <laughs> all right. Do you, do you want to lead off? <laughs> sure. I will, we'll go back and forth. Okay. Uh, the first one I found was on March 8th from Kenny Beecham, who says, Explain the Russell Wilson trade in NBA terms for me. He gets a reply from one Colin Coward that says the Broncos dunked on the Seahawks. <laughs> okay, There's that's a good one. one. I think okay. I have Colin in here somewhere too, but it's not that one. I'm going to go to one of our favorite Seahawks Twitter prevent, uh, people, Evan Hill, who works for a Hawk blogger. I I think I chose about six Evan tweets, but I'm going to just read one of them. The fact that the Seahawks had to throw in a fourth round pick is honestly fucking hilarious. What a horrible return for a once in a generation half of a Hall of Fame quarterback. Thank you, Evan. Uh, Man, this is 
this is unbelievable looking at months later. Okay, number two. I have a lot of Colin Coward tweets in here. Here's another one. Colin Coward says, the Broncos have crushed this offseason. Free agency and draft crushed it. Now, they didn't even have a first-round pick in this year's draft. But somehow, I guess in Colin Coward's world, they crushed it. They won the offseason. Okay, let's go to uh, Sports Radio KJR Dave Softy Mahler's uh, poll. This isn't really a tweet, but this is more of a fan uh, fan perspective. He put out a poll uh, on March 8th saying Seahawks trading Russell Wilson to De- Denver. Love it or hate it? 54% of people said they hate it, while 47, uh, 45% of people said they love it. I wonder what those numbers would be now. Hmm. Going to go with like 97.3 or something like that? Probably. Okay. Third tweet, and I promise this is my final Colin Coward tweet, but it's another one because he loves Russell Wilson. This was on August 5th, 2022, as we're getting ready for the start of the regular season in the NFL. It was just a few weeks away. Uh, There's a video of Colin Coward talking for about six minutes, and... What it's quoted on as on Twitter is, I think Russell Wilson wins the MVP. And he goes off for six minutes about it. I'm going to go now to the Denver stratosphere. I have a couple of Denver uh, Twitter personalities here that are lined up here. Let's go to Zach Stevens, who works for DNVR. uh, a, a sort of new media outlet in the Denver area. He's got a lot of really good ones, but I'm going to I'm going to just circle this one. The Denver Broncos are Super Bowl contenders with Russell Wilson at QB for the next decade. <laughs> Oops. Oh. <laughs> uh, I I've got to say this by the way as we're reading through these tweets because this was a take a lot of the offseason. I don't ever want to hear again about how Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton are a better receiver duo than DK and Tyler Lockett. Oh, no, no. Way, not at all. <laughs> no. Not like, at all. Nope. That was a take. It was a take. Uh, incorrect take, as the, it seemed like there were a lot of them. Um, okay, fourth out of six. I'm going to do this one and then two more after this as we continue to go along here. Uh, Denver Broncos 365. They tweet out a lot of Broncos stuff. They caught a picture of Peyton Manning shaking hands with Patrick Mahomes, who I believe has never lost to the Broncos in his career, at least not when he's on the road. 10 and yeah, 0. he's 10 and 0. 10 and 0 <laughs> against the Broncos. Uh, this tweet has Patrick Mahomes shaking hands with Peyton Manning, and Broncos 365 quotes it Hey, Pat, there's a new king in the NFC West, and it's, or in the AFC West, and his name is Russell Wilson. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think, I think three and I, ten is king. I sent this tweet to you before I I, I added it to the list, um, so I'm going to read it again. Also from Zach Stevens at DNVR, and again, what these people are quoting, no ill will at all. I just think it's funny. You could dig up my That's tweet funny. receipts and read it on your podcast too. I'll get a chuckle out of it. This tweet on March 8th from Zach Stevens, not only is Russell Wilson an incredible quarterback, he's a perfect fit in Nathaniel Hackett's offense. and Nathaniel Hackett has been almost as much of a scapegoat as Russ has been with this team 
guy who might get fired <laughs> before yeah. the season is over. Oh, well, incredible. I mentioned that. Okay, I got two more. I mentioned that contract that Russell signed five years for $245 million in Denver. Broncos 365 tweets out, it happened. Russell Wilson took a team-friendly deal, and now the Broncos can build a long-term championship team. I don't know in what world that contract is team-friendly, but they said it is. Remember when he made it a point to say he took $49 million a year because he didn't want to reset the market and give the Broncos room to grow out the roster? I got a good laugh out of that. That was that yeah. was a good one from Russ's PR team. Here's a tweet from Zach By. He works at uh, uh, 104.3 The Fan in uh, in Denver. Serious question uh, in the offseason. What if Aaron Rodgers actually wanted to come to the Broncos, but George Payton said, nah, we have a better option? <laughs> it's, it's Aaron Rodgers very also well... rumored in the offseason to want out of Denver, uh, out of Green Bay, and Denver was an option. And it's very well known now that that was their first choice. That is basically the whole reason Nathaniel Hackett got hired. They thought they could lure Rodgers away because Hackett was his guy. Okay. Last one. I tried to save the best one for last year. This one might be my favorite. Uh, the Broncos currently have three Lombardi trophies in their franchise's history. Uh, Broncos 365 caught Russell Wilson wearing some orange cleats with a white Lombardi trophy on the bottom. And the caption says on these cleats of Russell's fourth coming soon like number four <laughs> i do not think at three and ten they're gonna be holding up a lombardi trophy this year i don't think so but maybe four wins though dog oh they could get four wins maybe yeah maybe. The rest of their schedule's tough we hope not <laughs> and i'm gonna cap it off with a, a a mutual favorite between the two of us to watch real skip bayless Denver just stole Russell Wilson from Seattle. Congrats, Broncos. Condolences, Seahawks. You know, Skip, I'm sorry. As you said yesterday on Undisputed, why don't you just put your glasses back on there, Skip? <laughs> oh, he almost lost it yesterday. Or Shannon Sharp almost, almost got, lost it He on almost him. got punched right in the face on live television. I re- God, I really wish that happened. Oh. Soon. Uh, so... If those who are listening couldn't tell, we did one collective speak your mind this week. And honestly, we've been waiting a long time to do this one. Yes, we had a little rant session get off our chest there. But you know what? We had to hear it a lot in the offseason. So it's nice to gloat a little. Let's put it like that. Yep. And it has been a treat every Sunday to turn on Red Zone and see the Broncos not on there. Because, well, they haven't scored any points. <laughs> oh, thank you, Russ. You got what you wanted. You got your office. You got your PR team. Um, and you got your big contract. Congrats, Russ. You you did a great job in getting what you want. You just haven't executed it very well. I'm going to cap it off with this as we wrap this up here. The Seahawks are probably going to have a top three pick. At the very least, it's going to be top five, it seems like, at this point. One of the guys... We've circled that we think they could take is Will Anderson, a guy who has a chance to be an elite pass rusher. He wears number 31. I'm going to let you finish my sentence here because I know I've said this to you a few times. Will Anderson wears 31 at Bama, and you can't spell 31. Without three. Without three. Thank you, Russ. Thank you, Russ. What a Christmas present.
Yeah. Uh, that's been great. That has been great. Well, with that, that'll just about wrap us up for this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. If you guys want to follow us, you've got a bunch of different options. If you want to listen to the podcast, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on Amazon, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. We would also recommend you go to YouTube too, because we've got full video podcasts on there. We've got our short form content on there with YouTube shorts. You can follow us on social media and on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Marine Layer Pod. Seriously, go check those out. We do a bunch of stuff on TikTok. So if you listen to us once a week, you can find more of our content throughout the week as well. If you go, if you go over to our TikTok page, we do Mariner stuff, we do MLB stuff, the whole nine yards. We thank you so much for listening to this episode. For TJ Matthewson, this has been Lyle Goldstein. We'll talk to you next week on the Marine Layer Podcast. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.